Did the camera go across? We're good. And the little green light or little blue light screen, then, right? All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. If you're tuning in by live stream, certainly a joy to have you here today. And I've got several folks visiting with us today here in the auditorium. We're thankful to have you all with us today and hope it will be a blessing and encouragement to you. And, uh, well, let's take a songbook, if you will. Turn to number 498. Number 498, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'll stand together, if you would, or you're able to. Let's sing all four verses, number 498. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory let us then be true and faithful trusting serving every day just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory onward to the prize before us soon his beauty will behold soon those pearly gates will open we shall tread the streets of gold when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory Amen. Boy, I was talking to my son the other day. We were coming home. We'd been out uh, at the airport. If you know me, I like planes. So we'd gone out there for a few hours, and um, we're coming back home, and he started talking about the end times. And we got talking about heaven. We got so excited in the car on the way home, I thought both of us were about to jump out of the vehicle. And I don't know about you, I'm excited about going to heaven. And uh, I've got friends and loved ones, family members there. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I really am. But the truth is, heaven's going to be heaven, not because of all of our loved ones there, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've never seen Him face to face. And, uh, boy, I can't wait. Could you imagine closing your eyes in this life and opening them up, and there stands Jesus. Boy, what a thought. And uh, I get a little jealous. We had uh, uh, Miss Debbie, the Uber driver, went home to be with the Lord about a week, a little over a week ago. And I'm almost jealous of that. I think, boy, I'll tell you, I just can't hardly wait. And, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful as a Christian that we don't go to bed at night worried about what the future holds. Uh, we get to go home and lay our heads down with peace, knowing that if anything happens, God's got it under control. The worst thing that happened, we go to heaven. And that's the best thing that happened. Amen? And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. Good to have everybody here this morning and starting to see the auditorium get back to where it needs to be. And uh, that's certainly a joy and a, a blessing too. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing on the service. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it throughout this day. Lord, may we be sensitive and yielded to the teaching and preaching of your word. 
And Father, may we already make our choice and our decision that if you will show us your truth, we'll walk in it. I pray that you'd help us not to wait till a time of invitation to make our choice or to make a decision for you, but that we would, at the onset, say, Lord, whatever it is that you show me, that my answer is already yes. And Father, we do pray that you'll bless all that we say and do here today. We long to bring glory to you and honor to your name. We pray that your Holy Spirit will have free reign in this service to do as he would see fit in the hearts of men. And I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive and yielded to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's turn over just a, a page to number 500. And uh, several of the songs this morning just deal about heaven. And I get excited about that. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I wish Brother Everett was here for this one. He loves this song. And uh, we'll sing all three verses. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, glory of His resurrection share. When His chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Let us labor for the Master. (coughs) Talk of all His wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Amen. And then over to number 502, and a great, great song by Fanny Crosby. I love this one. My Savior, first of all. And uh, you can remain seated. We're not going to have a shake hands time today, just to uh, be overly cautious today. But I hope that you've had time to fellowship before and take time to fellowship after the service. So you remain seated. We'll sing all four verses, number 502. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him By the print of the nails in His hand Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view His blessed face And the luster of His kindly beaming eye How my full heart will praise Him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me a mansion in the sky. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, by the print of the nails in His hand. Oh, the dear ones of glory, how they beckon me to come, and our parting at the river I recall. To the sweet vales of Eden they will sing my welcome home, 
But I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know. And redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him. I shall know Him by the print of the nails in His hand. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, He will keep me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him by the print of the nails in his hand. Whew, boy, I love that one, don't you? Wow, we get to see Jesus one day, and uh, I just can't wait. We get to stand beside him, redeemed. I don't know about you all, but I hope we don't ever get over the day we got saved. Because I'm telling you, a notable miracle was done that day. Oh, what a joy. I grew up in a pastor's home. And uh, I remember as a young young boy, my dad occasionally would have evangelists come in and heard their testimonies. I mean, some of these men, astounding testimonies. When you heard them and you heard what their life was before the Lord and then how the Lord saved them. You sit there and wonder, and you think, boy, what, a, what an amazing Savior to, to save that man. But I grew up thinking, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home. We couldn't do anything wrong. We couldn't even look cross-eyed. And it's tempting at that age. In fact, the thought came many times, Lord, I, I can't ever have a testimony like that. And one day I had to realize that my sin was just as bad in the sight of God as, as any man's sin that He had to pay the same price for my sin that He had to pay for any other person's sin, and that He had to reach just as far. I hope we don't ever get over being saved. Man, I'll tell you, some people shout with joy. (laughs) God didn't give me a shout, or He made my eyes leak a lot. But I'm going to tell you what. uh, Boy, it's good to be saved, isn't it? And when you think about the fact that we didn't deserve it, that makes it all the more precious. And uh, we spent some time this week in our morning devotional time uh, in the 51st Psalm. And I uh, had another message actually planned for this morning. And yesterday, all day long, and, and throughout the morning, even this morning, was praying. And uh, I, I, we're going to share some thoughts from Psalm 51 this morning, if you want to turn there. Uh, God kind of changed the direction a little bit, I think, on this. And. I hope it'll be a help. Uh, I love this psalm. It's a great psalm. And uh, Brother Harold and I talk sometimes. We joke around about, boy, that's a really good one there. Well, the truth is all of it's good. But there are some that just um, God uses at particular times in our life in, in very special ways. And Psalm 51 has been very special to me through my lifetime. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through about verse number 12 or so. The psalmist writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, 
that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Father, we pray for the next few moments that you will help us to lay aside the burdens and the cares and the concerns of this life. Many have walked in this place needing to hear from you. And the truth is, Lord, I know that there's not one thing that I know or can say that will be a help to them. But I know that your word has the answer for every single one of us. And I pray that you would allow it to comfort our hearts, to guide and direct us. And Lord, may we learn from it the things that you would want us to. I pray that you would help us to be yielded to its teaching. That you will draw our hearts closer to you through it. And that we'll leave here this morning loving you more. Striving to be more like you than we did when we walked in here this morning. And I pray that you would receive the honor and glory of all that we do. And may you take full control of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I like the fact that as the psalmist writes this psalm, he is so careful to word some things here that uh, are of utmost importance to him. He writes this psalm on the heels of his sin with Bathsheba. And uh, after he had sent Uriah the Hittite to the hottest part of the battle and had the troops withdraw and effectively murdering Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, Nathan comes to him and gives a story to David of a wealthy man who had many sheep and his neighbor who had only one. And if someone came to visit the wealthy man, and rather than taking one of his own sheep, of the many that he had, he went over to his neighbor and he stole the only sheep he had, the one that was precious. David was very upset about that. He said, I think that man ought to be put to death. And Nathan looked at him and said, Thou art the man. In that moment, David realized how wicked the sin was that he had done. And I want to share some thoughts today because I believe we're living in a day, in a time, where we need to have our eyes opened again to see just how wicked sin is and understand that it needs to be something that we do not coddle, we do not condone, we don't try to, to, to put it into our lives and say we're, we're okay with it. But we need to understand the absolute wickedness of sin. I remember as a kid when I was growing up, when I got up to about sixth grade, I've shared this before, but I, uh, I couldn't see the blackboard very well. I had a very difficult time. I told my teacher, and she uh, moved me up to the very front row, and I still couldn't see. She'd write on the board. I couldn't see what she was writing. She took me up to my dad's office, and um, somehow my dad, he's a pastor. I don't know why he had one, but he had an eye chart in his office. I don't know where he got one from, but he had one. He put it on the wall, and he had me stand about three feet from it and said, read this line, and I read it, and he's like, your eyes are fine. Go back to class. And uh, great, my grades suffered, went down. I had a hard, hard time. And finally, after several months of that, my mom said, uh, maybe we need to go get his eyes checked. And I went and got my eyes checked. And I'll never forget, back then you had to order your glasses. It took about 10 days to get them in or so. I'll never forget going the morning of, um, they said your glasses are in, we're going to get them put on. And I walked in the, the office, there was just a little cubicle. And the eye doctor put him on my face, and he's sitting just a, a, you know, just about a foot or so away. And I didn't notice a big difference or anything until we walked out of the little cubicle, went up to the counter at Eckerd Drugs to, to pay for the, the glasses. And I didn't realize in all of my years that you could read the price tags on the items that were behind the counter. I'd never seen them before. I knew they were there. I just thought everybody saw them blurry, and you had to walk around to see them. We walked outside, and I never realized that from a distance you could see individual blades of grass. I'd never seen them like that before. All of my life, I knew I could see them when I got close to them, 
But I never knew. I, I was amazed. I thought I was the $6 million man and had bionic eyesight. I had never stood down at the foot of a tree and looked up in it when I was getting ready to climb it and seen individual leaves until I climbed up into the branches. It was amazing to me. My sight that had been so poor for so long was made clear. And the sad fact of the matter is I didn't even know that I was that blind until my vision had been corrected. And I fear that we are living in a time that when it comes to our sin, we're not even aware. We don't see it clearly. We don't understand it the way that we ought. I'm thankful in this psalm that the psalmist deals with the topic. He doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't try to excuse it. He doesn't pout and get mad at Nathan the prophet and say, well, you've offended me. Who are you to judge me and stomp out? But the Bible says in verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, wilt thou not despise. And this was the response of David as he recognized his sin. He begins this psalm before he ever even acknowledges his sin, already beseeching the mercy of God. Understanding the, the, how, how horrible this sin was that he had committed, he begins this psalm by seeking for God's mercy. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? You know, the Bible says that if it were not for His mercy, we would be consumed every day. I'm thankful that not only did God have mercy to save me, but He has mercy every day to keep me saved. I'm thankful that He is a merciful God. And the Bible says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. The psalmist didn't dare come with arrogance to God and say, you owe it to me to save me or to give me your mercy. The psalmist knew of his own guilt. And he said, Lord, if there's any salvation to be had, if there's any mercy to be had, it's only going to be granted out of your stores of loving kindness because I certainly do not merit your love. I don't merit your mercy. He says, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, can I tell you this, that when it comes to God's mercies, we need to have a renewed vision of the vastness of His mercy. In Romans chapter number 5, Paul writes, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It was inexhaustible. There's not a man out there that has ever sinned so much that God could not save him. There's grace to go around and grace to spare. There's mercy for forgiveness to go around and mercy to spare. And if it were not for the loving kindness of our God, and can I tell you this, one of the things that makes His loving kindness so special to us, that causes us to stand in awe and in reverence of His love for us, is our recognition that we did not merit His mercy. When we begin to see the vastness of His loving kindness, in Romans chapter number 5, and I shared it this week in, in the morning devotion time, it, it says that in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for this. this. This was the love that God had for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet unlovable, and that's what makes His love even that much more special to us. That's what causes us to come with gratitude and with praise to Him and say, Oh, what a wonderful Savior. I'm reminded of the time that the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter that it was going to, the cock was not going to crow before He denied him three different times. And Peter said, Nay, Lord... Even unto death, I won't deny you. And what did Peter do? He denied him, didn't he? You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he met Mary in the garden. He told her, he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He wanted to make sure Peter understood. I don't know about you, but if I was Peter at that point, I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> I'd be like, boy, he really singled me out. He knows I denied him. But you know how precious our Savior is? on the shores of Galilee, while they were out fishing, He began to prepare a meal for them. And while they're sitting there enjoying that meal, He goes to Peter, and He says, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. 
He asked him a second time, Lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, Yea, Lord. And finally, the third time, he said, Lovest thou me more than these? I understand that there were two different words of love that were used there. I've heard messages on that and good messages on that. But our Bible says that Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time. Could you imagine the weight of that moment? As Peter realized, three times did I deny him, and yet three times has he given me opportunity to express my love for him. What amazing, what an amazing Savior we have. The multitude of thy tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions. And I want you to notice as we get to verse number 2, he says this, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And I think this is probably one of the things that is, uh, the thing that we are missing in the day that we live that causes us to, to superficially, if you will, deal with our sin. You know, my Bible tells us that we're supposed to eschew evil. We're to abhor that which is evil. And we've gotten to the place where we've begun to um, accept sin. Can I say it this way? And I hate to say it this way, but we've almost come to the point of even enjoying our sin. And I'm talking about even among God's people. There were things that when I was a kid were, were, were things that we looked at and we said, boy, uh, that, that, that ought never to be so. And nowadays, even among God's people, they're practiced. Because we have drifted and we have treated our sins superficially. The psalmist makes this expression in verse number 2. He says, wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Well, what a thought. I don't want just an outward cleaning. I want an inside and outside cleaning. I want the heart to be clean. If the heart will be clean, the outside will take care of itself, really. But oh, that we would uh, clean up the outside. Years ago, my dad uh, planted a tree in the front yard of our house down in Florida. My mom wanted one of those weeping willow trees. I don't know why she likes them. They're pretty, but boy, they are terrible to mow around. As a teenage boy, I hated that. You'd be up under there and they'd be hitting you in the face trying to mow under them. And uh, my dad planted one of those. And for about two or three years, it grew really, really nice. And then... One year we noticed the leaves started turning brown on it and uh, started dropping some of the branches off. Some of them started dying, and my dad put miracle Grow. My dad thought with God and miracle Grow you could grow anything. And uh, he'd do miracle Grow. He tried everything he could to get that tree to work, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, it got to where it didn't have any leaves on it. And it sat there for a few months, and finally one Saturday my dad said, Greg, let's go out there. We're going to take this tree out. We're going to plant another one. We went to go pull that tree out of the ground, and when we did, the stalk broke off. And all of a sudden, we realized what had happened to that tree. While we could not see it from the outside, a carpenter ants had gone and bored up inside the middle of that tree, and the inside of that tree had been as rotten as rotten could be. And I think often of that tree when I think of passages like this, and when I come to, to God and I come to His Word and I ask, Lord, how's my inside? Am I just trying to clean up an outside? Am I trying to make people think I'm something that I'm not? Am I just trying to be acceptable? Am I trying to fit into a form that people expect a Christian to be in? Or is there something genuine in the heart? Is there something on the inside? Is there something that's part of the inner man? And the psalmist said this, I don't want just to be washed on the outside, Lord. I want to be washed throughly, inside and out. I want to be transformed. I want my heart to be cleansed. You know, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He said, I want you to wash me all the way through, the inside and the out. Turn with me if you hold your place here in Psalm 51. We're going to be right back. But look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter 23, and I've referred to this so often before. Matthew chapter 23, in verse number 24, Jesus is confronting the scribes and the Pharisees. And I want you to notice a couple things here. Uh, as we get to verse number 24, Jesus says, Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Notice how, how bold he is. He says, Hypocrites. 
this is what characterizes somebody that is a hypocrite. Now, I, I will say this. I, I will say this. I was uh, working several years ago, and a guy that I was working with said, Greg, you know why I don't go to church? And I said, why? He said, because uh, there's a lot of hypocrites there. I looked at him and I said, but isn't that where you want them to be? I mean, they need to get help, right? The truth is, none of us are what we ought to be. But I'm thankful that we're here to get some help in that. I'm thankful that God's Word helps to instruct us in that. He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within ye are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And here's the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. They were so concerned about their outward cleanliness. And by the way, have you ever noticed this? In Christ's earthly ministry, He never condemns them for their outwardness. In fact, He even talks about how good they are outward, doesn't He? He says, outwardly you're clean. No man, no man can even criticize what you are outwardly. But what He condemns them for was what they were inside. In other words, they had cleansed up the outside of the vessel, the outside of the cup. Several years ago, when I was in college in, uh, in the Chicago area, I went to visit a lady that was on our bus route. And she was blind, sweet, sweet Christian lady. But she was blind, and she lived by herself in an apartment. And we went to go visit her. And uh, my bus captain and I, we went in. That She asked us to come in and sit down, and she wanted to talk for a little bit. And she offered us a glass of water. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to have one. It was a hot summer day. I said, I'd love to have one. So she went to the sink, and she filled up a cup of water, and she brought it to me. And I went to go take a drink of it. And, and I don't mean this to sound bad, but there was a cockroach in the cup, and she didn't even know it. Because she was blind. She couldn't see. And, and, there's, and so she's asking me how I like this water. And uh, I was trying to be as gracious as I could and yet not have to drink this. And the truth was that while the outside of the cup looked fine, that was corrupted and there was something about it on the inside that caused me not to want to have anything to do with it. And the psalmist says this, Lord, when it comes to my sin, I don't want to just clean up the outside. I want you to wash me thoroughly. I want you to make sure that you do the, the thorough job of this. I want you to notice also in verse number 2 that he doesn't depend upon what he can do to wash himself up. But he says, Lord, I need you to wash me. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of Christians today that are trying to wash themselves. What we need to do is become broken over it and come to God and say, Lord, I can't. Oh, I might be able to make the outside look okay, but God, only you can work on the heart. Only you can change things. He says, wash me throughly and cleanse me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice in verse number 3, he says this, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I said in Sunday school we would talk a little bit more about this. But the psalmist was asking God for him to have his vision cleared, if you will. Like I had my eyes corrected so many years ago to where I could see things clearly. The psalmist said, I want to make sure that I see my sin the way that you see sin, God. He says, I want to acknowledge it. He said, I'm not even trying to, to excuse it away. And by the way, how often do we try to do that? You ever notice how often we try to excuse our sin? The worst sin out there is the sin somebody else has. It's not mine. At least that's what we think. And we try to excuse it away. We try to justify it. We try to have situational ethics. That when, when circumstances dictate, it's okay to, to be a, a man that's lacking in integrity. It's okay to, to do something uh, sinful or wrong against the moral law of God as long as the situation demands it. And that's the way we justify it. But you know, the psalmist comes to God and he's already committed himself and he's already pled guilty. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. And notice he says this, and my sin is ever before me. His eyes were opened up. He was able to have discernment. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah chapter number 17. I love this passage of Scripture. 
Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 5. Jeremiah writes, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land, and not inhabit it. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and in whose hope the Lord is. For he shall see, be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh. But her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. We find that we live in a day and age where the truth is we have a lack of discerning between what is good and what is bad. Those that are the cursed man look at things and they can't see when the good comes. They don't recognize it for what it is. Uh, we're living in a day where people are calling evil good and good evil. Where we are deviant to say that it is wrong to murder a little infant in the womb. Where the society looks at us and says that we're the ones that are wrong when we say that there's a moral law of God that says it's one man and one woman. We begin to get into a situation where our nation dictates and our, our society begins to dictate what is right and what is wrong. And if we're not careful as God's people, we'll stay a distance from the world, but we'll move right along with them. There needs to be a steadfastness here, as the psalmist says, my sin is ever before me. He's saying, Lord, I want to make sure that I can see my sin. Can I tell you this? I think it does a Christian well to pray and to say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit's conviction in my life. Be careful when you pray it, because it's not an enjoyable prayer. And I promise you this, it will bring some pain and it will bring some uh, embarrassment and it will bring some times of sorrow of realizing that we've disappointed our Savior. But we are in great need today for God's Holy Spirit to have freedom to convict hearts again. For us to come to Him and say, Lord, I need this in my life and so I'm going to ask You for it. I know it's going to hurt. I know there's going to be some, some, some uh, scars along the way. But, Father, if I'm going to be what I need to be for You, if I'm going to be cleansed thoroughly, if I'm going to be cleansed inside and out, then I must have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if we have lost the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in our life, then we need to be concerned of that. Either we are not saved and we think we are, or we have grown very cold and callous to the things of God, in which case we need our hearts stirred again. We need to be praying for this. We're living in a day where if there's ever been a time for man to come and say, Lord, I need your conviction, it's today. And we ought to be grateful for it when it comes. You say, Brother Greg, do I have to rejoice and be all excited about that? I'm not saying that there's not going to be some pain, but we need to be thankful for it because it's needful for us. My sin is ever before me. Notice, the psalmist doesn't get bitter at Nathan, does he? He doesn't stomp out of the kingdom and say, I'm just never coming back to that priest, uh, that prophet again. Boy, he told me something I didn't like to hear. I felt bad in that service, never going there again. That's not what David did. David said, my sin is ever before me. I don't like that. I want that to be changed. Lord, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to cleanse me not just on the outside, but I want you to cleanse me all the way through. I want to cleanse my heart. I want to cleanse it all. <coughs> I want you to notice as we get down to verse number 8. He says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that my bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Not only did David want to see things clearly, he wanted to hear things clearly too, didn't he? He wanted to have that joy, that song in his heart again. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness. I find this an interesting phrase in verse number 8. He says, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. It's a peculiar phrase in the middle of a psalm. Did David have broken bones? Well, this is a, an expression of a shepherd. Years ago, I had learned a little bit of the shepherds from the time of uh, Christ and back in the Old Testament days. And if there was a sheep that was constantly wandering off and getting into problems and would drift away from the flock and put itself in danger, 
the shepherd would take the sheep and he would put him in his arm and he would stretch out the two front legs. By the way, David, who was a shepherd, would know this. And in Psalm 23, he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Both the thing that leads and guides and the thing that brings correction. The shepherd would take that sheep and he would take his rod and he would crack it across the legs and break the two front legs of the sheep. And then he would very carefully splint them and put bandages around them and he had a special pocket sewed inside of his cloak. It was known as the shepherd's pocket. And they would put this sheep inside this pocket, inside their cloak, and they would carry that sheep until his legs were mended. I'm told that after the months of, of, or several weeks of those legs mending and healing, that when the shepherd put them down and took the bandages off, that that sheep never wandered more than a few feet from the shepherd the rest of his life because he had been so near to the shepherd for so long. You know, there are times in our life where we are in need for God to take us. And while not enjoyable, we need to be put into the, the shepherd's pocket, if you will, into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and held very close until our spirits can be mended. The psalmist, he speaks of the broken bones here in verse number 8. He says, I make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Oh, it's not pleasant to have the bones broken, but oh, it's sure nice to be near the heart of the Savior. If it's what brings me closer to Him, then I'll rejoice in it. I never liked to be whipped when I was a kid, and boy, I got plenty of them. <laughs> wow. Whippings and whoopings, both. And there is a difference. I remember one summer, I told my mom this a few weeks ago. I was talking to her about it. She said, oh, I don't remember that. I said, Mom, I'm telling you, it seemed like every single day of that summer I got a whipping. Every, and as hard as I tried, there were days I tried not to get one. And I mean, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd say, boy, not this day. They are not getting me this day. And sure enough, usually by about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, it was done. And I got whippings. Now, I, the worst thing that my mom would do is she'd say, Greg, I want you to go to your room and your dad will deal with it when you get home, when he gets home. Man, I hated that. Anybody have your parent do that to you? I'd much rather, even though mom was a poor aim, I'd much rather go ahead and get it over with. But she'd sit, send me to my room, and I'd sit there, and you just agonize all day. And I loved my dad. My dad and I did every. I mean, if he was home, we were doing something together. We were always doing something. And uh, I'll never forget being in that place. And when I heard the, the car pull into the driveway, instead of running to the door to my, meet my dad like I like to, I kind of hid in my room. I didn't make a noise. In fact, I had a little place in my closet. I just went in the closet, hid behind the clothes, shut the door, put a sign on there, nobody home. And didn't, I mean, I didn't, didn't put the sign on, but I did get in the closet sometimes. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't even want to make a noise because I didn't even want my dad to know I was there. But then he would come to my room. We'd sit down and he'd tell me what I did wrong. And then we'd have the application of, you know, discipline. And uh, when it was all over, the sweetest part, my dad would take me in his arms. And you know it was all over. And I had learned the lesson, or I thought I had until the next morning when I did it again. But oh, how sweet. I often wonder, God sometimes breaks the legs, doesn't He? But we rejoice because that restoration of fellowship with Him is complete. He's brought us full circle. The sin has been justified. It's been taken care of. Made as though we had never sinned. And now He's our Father once again. It's a wonderful thing as we look at verse number 8 as he speaks of rejoicing in the broken bones. I want you to notice he says down in verse number 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We spoke on that passage last week. 
But understand this, and we mentioned it earlier on. The psalmist said early in, in this chapter, he says in verse number 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now don't mistake this. The psalmist is not trying to excuse his sin. He's not trying to say, well, God, it's your fault because I was conceived in sin and I didn't have a choice. That's not what he was saying. What he was trying to get at was, Lord, not this sin only, but my life has been marked with iniquity. And that brought him to verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. To have our hearts purified. To have them created fresh and new inside of us again. This time with a clean heart. Not a heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked. But Lord, a clean heart. The psalmist goes through all of this. He wants his eyes to be opened, to see sin the way that God sees it. He brings himself to a place of contriteness and a broken spirit. He says, Lord, I want to hear rejoice at rejoicing again. Even through the broken bones, I want to rejoice. He gets to the place where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Some of us would look at David and say, Boy, with the sin that he did, and if he lived in the day that you and I live in, some of us would kick him out of the church and say, you know what, God will never use you again. Aren't you glad God's not like that? He came back repentant. He came back asking God to create in him a clean heart and restore him. And notice what he says. Verse number 12. Let's back up to verse number 11. Cast me not away from my presence, nor take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, notice this, will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be what? Converted unto thee. God's not done with me yet. And all we can say is, oh, what a Savior. The truth is, every single one of us, before we were saved, were sinners. Lost and on our way to hell. And can I tell you this? That since we have been saved, guess what we are? Sinners. <laughs> Only this time we have the grace of God on us. We have His righteousness. And when we are contrite and broken of our sin, when we have a renewed view of it, to realize how wicked and horrible and terrible it is, we come to the place and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. God can use us again. Isn't that amazing? I think often of this. God could have chosen and used anything that He created to do His work. But He chose you, and He chose me. And so many Christians look at serving God as something that we have to do. Boy, that's my duty. I, I have to do it. No, no, we missed it. It's something that we get to do. What a joy to have a Savior like this. We, I don't know who the message was for today, and I don't know why God changed the message for the hour, but... Maybe there needs to be a renewed view, a renewed vision. Maybe we need to have God put some spiritual glasses on our eyes so we can see sin the way He sees it. Maybe we need to learn to respond appropriately to His conviction in our lives. I don't know what the case is, but I hope that it's been a help and a blessing to you this morning. And I'll tell you this, I'm thankful His Word never returns void. All of it is profitable. And I hope it will be a help to you this morning. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, and while the message has not been primarily for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, but if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't know if you were to die right now that you'd go to heaven. Can I tell you this this morning? God loves you. He does not desire for you to die and go to hell. He loved you so much that He was willing to send His only Son 
to die in your place on your behalf so that you could have a home in heaven for all of eternity. If you're here this morning, you're not saved, you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior. In a moment when the piano and organ begin to play, I'm going to ask if you would to come forward and let us show you from God's Word how you can be saved this morning. The message has been primarily for Christians, though. I wonder this morning, are we seeing sin the way we ought to? I often wonder how many times we quench the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit simply because of our view of sin. Maybe we need to come and ask the Lord to help renew our sight again, to give us a renewed vision of it, that we would deal with it appropriately. As the piano and organ begin to play, would you come this morning? If God's spoken to your heart, would you come? Several have already come. Perhaps there'd be a few others that need to come. We'll just go through one more verse of uh, invitation. If God has spoken with you, would you come this morning? Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning, and may you help us to leave with it upon our hearts and our minds. May we not quickly forget the truth of what we've learned in Sunday school today and what we've learned in the morning preaching time, but that your Holy Spirit will bring it to remembrance, and throughout this day that we would ponder and meditate upon it. And Lord, as you lead and as you direct in our lives, I pray that you would help us to respond appropriately to it. That we would take heed and not just put it into our hearts and our minds, but that we would allow it to affect our lives. That you would allow it to do a transforming work in us. I pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here together today. The sweetness of the hour, the time of fellowship together around your word and around your people. And Lord, I pray that you would help to uplift us and guide us and direct us today. May you allow us this week to have opportunities to serve you, to share the gospel with those that need to hear it. And may we be sensitive to those times. We pray that you would help us to bring honor and glory to you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we begin dismissed, I just want to mention real quick, uh, we do have lunch downstairs. We have plenty of it there. So if you're visiting with us, you're welcome to join if you'd like to. We'd love to have you down there in time of, just down the stairs here in time of fellowship. And we do that until the 1 o'clock hour, which is when our evening service is around here. We have it at 1 o'clock. So you're welcome to stay for lunch if you'd like to. I think we have, did you bring dumplings today, I think? And we got rotisserie chicken and dumplings down there. And I don't know what else. So uh, you're welcome to come down and be a part of that with us. And um, other than that, visitors, thank you for being with us today. Certainly a joy to have you here. And good to see some of our folks coming back. And uh, some of you that have been out of town and... Uh, Good to have you back here as well today. Make sure you take time to greet one another, welcome each other, and uh, thank you all for being with us today. You're dismissed.